There we go. Sorry about that. Learning this, uh, this StreamYard thing. I invited Dr. Stillman to be part of this today, but I think he's traveling, so I don't know if he'll be able to make it or not. But that's fine. <clears throat> I apologize for that. I had to click on the little box to pull me on there. But I wanted to jump on here and chat. I'm going to try and be more consistent about getting on here at 9 in the morning. I've actually cleared my schedule out so that I can be available to be here every day. And uh, Dr. Stillman and I are going to make a better effort to uh, get on here every weekday morning at 9 or 9-ish. So I wanted to talk a little bit about trade-offs. You know, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And um, people come to me because they're frustrated. They're not getting what they want. A lot of times people don't know exactly what they want. Um, so people will come to me doing a certain exercise routine or having a certain lifestyle. And they don't understand the trade-offs. They don't understand the consequences of the actions they choose. For example, I'll have someone come to me. Uh, and when you talk to them, uh, you'd be like, okay, so what is your actual goal? And once you get talking to them, that you'll find out that their goal is just to look good and feel good. I mean, there's a difference when you have an athlete that has a performance specific goal, but most of like, you know, you're dealing with your 35 to 45 year old mother, uh, who has a career and, um, her goal is just to look good and feel good. And she's doing some high intensity classes or, uh, you know, she's, uh, you know, her lifestyle isn't lining up with what her goals are. Okay. And so what will happen is, is they'll be searching for these activities, whether it's marathon running or boot camp classes or all these other things, which can be appropriate um, for certain people at certain times. But a lot of times the goals or the, the, the activities that they're using to try and achieve their outcome are counterproductive counterproductive um, for what they're trying to accomplish. For example, you know, I had a lady who was running marathons. She wanted to do marathons to basically uh, lose her baby weight. And this lady had a background of sprinting, um, real athletic. So she started running and then she noticed her body composition actually got worse because one of the things, the side effects of her running long distances was basically uh her eating a lot she couldn't stop eating uh and so when she came to me i was like we need to change your approach we need to start lifting some weights we need to walk you can run if you want but we need to keep it under you know 5k you can do that a couple times a week for leisure if you want to uh it's kind of a stress management thing and then we need to change your diet her diet was predominantly you know 80 percent processed foods so we moved her more to you know protein vegetables and some some simple starches um it was really hard for her to like get through her head that actually she needed to lift like weights two or three times a week and do some moderate activity every day she thought that the more she ran the better results she would get and that's true to a certain point but then she she didn't understand that the activity that she was uh choosing had certain trade-offs. For example, as you run more, you become more efficient at running. You burn less calories, best energy, because your body is doing that activity. Its goal is to become as efficient as possible at that activity. Um, the other thing it does is it burns up a lot of hormones, right? So <clears throat> something like strength training at a moderate level is going to improve your hormone profile to a certain point. There comes a point where you train so hard that it 
decreases your hormone profile temporarily and then you adapt to it. Um, but if you have someone who's doing chronic, you know, running 50, 60 miles a week, they're not doing any strength training and they're not eating enough calories over time, you're going to lose muscle mass. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do cardio, but people take it to extreme where I'm like, well, you shouldn't do any cardio. No, this lady just needed more activities that basically gave her what she wanted, which was to look good and feel good. And honestly, for most people, the formula for looking good and feel good is pretty simple. It's walk outside three times a day for 10 to 15 minutes. Stole that from Stan Efforting uh, at a moderate pace, more of an observation kind of deal. This gives you some nice low level aerobic conditioning, which most people kind of ignore, um, lift weights two to three times a week. And it should be done in a way that's challenging, but not ridiculously overwhelming. And you don't need to do all sorts of hit type stuff. Um, a lot of people do too much of that. Uh, and then it's, you know, get your diet in order, get your sleep in order. And if you do those things over a long period of time, you're going to have great results. It's going to be sustainable. It's going to be enjoyable. Uh, weight training is a lot harder to adapt to. You can change the stimuluses. You can change the tempo um, so that you don't become, you know, if you're competing in powerlifting, you want to become efficient at it. But if your goal is body composition change, you don't want to become so efficient at it that you basically uh, lose that kind of effect, right? Uh, that calorie, calorie burn effect. But um People and athletes too. athletes will come to me and they'll be like, well, all I got to do is get stronger or get more powerful or I got to train harder. And a lot of times it's stepping back and looking at, okay, how much sleep are you getting? Are you eating enough calories? And those two things right there, if you're neglecting those two things or, you know, if you're not getting outside, um, it's going to have a, a trade off of you're not going to be able to recover from your training as much. How is your technique on the field? Does it suck? Can you get in the position you need to get into on the field to perform? Here's an example. I was working with a hammer thrower. And hammer throw, you, you have to stay out of this kind of arched position. You have to almost posteriorly tuck your pelvis to spin. And so everything he was doing in the weight room was pulling him out of his ability to get into the position he needed to get into for his sport. So we needed to modify his exercise selection. And we needed to give him some things that got him into the position. And once he's able to get into the position that he needed to get into, he was able to throw the hammer further. So getting him stronger in the opposite positions that he needed to be in was actually inhibiting him. So in the weight room, his numbers were going up. But on the on the performance, on the on the actual event, his performance was going down. And so we had to take some of the weight away. We had to modify some exercises so he could get into the position he needed to be able to get into to throw the hammer. We see this a lot with football players, with wrestlers. I'll have a wrestler, a football player come to me that are that are doing a traditional powerlifting type program. And they start, you know, powerlifting is all about being a fire hydrant. It's about moving the most amount of weight possible. And if that's all you're doing in your training is you're doing get stronger and, and getting stronger has a has benefits to a point. But if it's taking away from your ability to get into the positions you need to get into to perform your sport, it becomes a net negative. So a lot of especially high school programs, um, kids will be stuck in this extended state where their rib cage and their pelvis are, you know, rib cage is up, pelvis is dumped forward, they're arched because in the weight room they're squatting with an arch, they're benching with an arch, they're rowing with an arch, they're doing chin-ups with an arch. 
they don't do anything where they reach, you know, and in football is played here. It's not played with your shoulder blades pinned together. So a lot of the things in bodybuilding and more, more so powerlifting that allow you to lift more weights over time can actually take away from an athlete's ability to move. So you can use elements of powerlifting, uh, but you got to be also aware of the position. You know, I've, I've gone and, and talked to high school coaches and they'll be like, I don't understand why my kids play, play so high. We're constantly telling them to play low. We're trying to get them to drop their hip position. And then we go in the weight room and we watch what they're doing in the weight room and everything basically drives them further and further into extension. And I ask you this, stand with your back arched really hard and try and get in a low position. It, it doesn't work. If, you, if that's your go-to strength, and guess what? Whatever you emphasize in the weight room is going to show up on the field. <clears throat> your body is going to use what it thinks is the best strategy. And if you've only reinforced one strategy, okay, you're going to lose variability. You're going to lose moves, movement options. And that's where most people get into trouble. And the best athletes will be able to adapt and compensate and, and, and overcome. Many of the best athletes are the best adapters or the best cheaters. Uh, they don't like the word cheaters, but the best athletes can work around all sorts of different problems and do things with their shape and their body that, that others can't. And, and the best athletes will adapt set to set. If you have a great athlete and you give them a task, they will master that task in one set. So, the best athletes are more adaptive and the um, um, the moderate to lower level athletes don't adapt as fast. It might take them, you know, a month, six weeks to get a concept and get some movement uh, patterns nailed down. But a lot of times those guys that aren't as athletic gifted have the brain power to basically be tactical and be smart. A guy like Tom Brady who knows the game, who, who, who has great throwing mechanics, makes up for his lack of athleticism because of his mind. And Peyton Manning is a good example of that too. His understanding of the game makes up for his lack of ability to move and roll and run in the pocket, right? So every that's the beauty of sports is that you could be the greatest athlete, but if you don't have a brain, um, you might not. Some of the best athletes I ever competed against just didn't have it on the field. I mean, they could, they're the fastest, they were the strongest in the weight room or, and there's guys that I, that were, I played against that were the, that, that sucked in the weight room, but man on the field, they knew how to manipulate. You'll see that a lot with wrestlers. Um, they, they, they just know how to move another person. They might not be great in the weight room, but you get their, you get their hands on somebody and they can flip them around and throw them around. Uh, and, you know, there's a reason why powerlifters aren't, you know, in the NFL and there aren't, you know, wrestlers uh, because they lose they get really 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 good high level powerlifters get really really good at lifting weights now you can take somebody who's strong and put them in something like jiu-jitsu or wrestling a lot of powerlifters will, will cross over and do that sort of thing but they need to work more on things like strength endurance and mobility and and and, and those type of things if they keep pushing the strength aspect of it it's going to affect their ability to train so when, you, when you're looking at yourself, you have to look at, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? If, for example, if I'm building a car that, that the goal is to run a quarter mile as fast as possible, I'm going to end up with what a top fuel dragster looks like, which is it goes in a straight line. It really sucks at steering side to side. Um, the more steering I give it, the less straight ahead, like Hussein Bolt. I'm not going to train Hussein Bolt like a soccer player because he, 
has to only run in a straight line. If I focus too much on lateral movement with Hussein Bolt, he's going to lose his ability to perform at the record uh, the, the world record type um, times that he he's doing. Right. So a lot of times with sports or with just life in general and picking activities that are not good with your body type. Okay. So, we have different structures. There's, I'll keep it really simple. There's a wide infrasternal angle, which would be more like me, your fire hydrant, great at producing force. You have your narrow infrasternal angles, which are long rib cage, narrow. They're better at rotating. So sports like golf, um, things like that, they're going to be really good at. They're not going to be so good at being an offensive lineman. And you'll notice that sports will actually pick. And you can watch in basketball, these guys that are really good at turning and, and shooting usually have a certain body type. And the guys that are basically power performers, they're more springy and explosive, they'll have a different body type. So a lot of times we'll take certain body types and we'll force them into a sport, which they're not really – I see this a lot with, like, soccer players. You'll have a, some kid that, that, that got put in soccer at five, and as they develop – they don't have the shape to be a great soccer player or the build to be a great soccer player, but the parents keep them in soccer instead of looking at them and going, wow, you're not really wired for soccer. The Soviets actually did a really good job of this. Um, one of the reasons the Soviets athletic system was so amazing um, was, you know, after World War II, they basically lost their entire alpha male population. They lost all their athletes. So they had to come up with a system to basically develop what they had. And so they started with gymnastics for everybody, basic movement, you know, dance, all these different activities at a low level. Like we're talking, you know, five, six, seven years old, all these play-based games. And then as they got older, they looked at their mental characteristics, like how aggressive they were, were they more of a team player, were they an individual sport? And as their structure developed and as their attributes developed, they steered them. They still kept doing all the sports. They would steer them into the sport that basically um, suited their structure, their mentality, their mindset the best. And what would happen is, is after, after um, a certain point, they would just go more and more of a percentage of their total training time would be dedicated to their sole sport. And so the time their, their goal was to develop a world champion down the road, right? And then on the off season, on the non-competitive season, they'd come back and do some of these other fundamental things to keep, give them movement variability to allow their body to recover, allow their nervous system to recover, their structure to recover so that you wouldn't end up um, burning these people out. So that is the opposite of what we do in the United States. We put kids in a program and we basically say, okay, this is the plan. Uh, we're going to practice this sport. And then you see most of the kids get hurt. And then there's so many, they get burned out or hurt. And then there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of kids that uh, would do well later on down the road, but we're so concerned about winning right now. They break a lot of these kids. And then of course, we've got such great genetic diversity in the United States. And we've got such a, a large population that there's always somebody to replace them. So the people at the top continue to, will be good no matter what. And then everyone in the middle kind of gets crushed, right? And so that's kind of how our athletic development system in the United States is set up. And that's mainly because we have an abundance of talent, an abundance of genetic um, uh, exceptional, I guess, exceptional genetics. We've got, you know, all sorts of, you know, people that are over 6'5", you know, whereas in a country like Canada, they have to be more conservative because they've got 
there's more people in the state of California than all of Canada. Same with these small European countries. They've only got so many people over 6'5". So they're going to have to be a lot more careful how they develop their athletes. We're here in the United States. One guy gets hurt. There's, there's, there's 150 guys to replace him. So there's just a few thoughts when you're looking at what you're trying to accomplish, whether athletically or personally, look at what am I actually trying to accomplish? Do the activities. And there are times like if you really enjoy doing something great, but if it's not giving you the results that you want, you might want to consider changing your activities and, you know, always look for low hanging fruit first. Like intensity shouldn't be your number one option. You should be looking at improving your nutrition, getting outside more, improving your overall health and understanding if you are competing in something like bodybuilding or powerlifting, you're going to have to give up certain aspects of health in order to achieve those goals. And whether that's worth it to you in the long run or not is only a decision that's up for you. If you're competing for performance, it's performance. You do everything you can to manage your health in at that time, but you got to understand you're going to sacrifice your health to compete at a high, high level. Okay. Have, competing in high levels, not about winning or not about, it's not about health. It's about winning. Right. And when you switch over into the look good and feel good side of things, it's just a totally different attitude. But even on both sides, you have to remember your body can only recover um, to the point, like you can only recover as much as your ability to recover. So a lot of people, when I worked at a CrossFit for a while and the attitude, this was in like the early, like the late, like 2010, 2012, I worked there and I was kind of helping them with their programming and the attitude and, and, and CrossFit's gotten better. I think a lot of the people that own it are a lot smarter now. They've realized that, you know, it, it, it's about getting better. It's not about just doing more. Right. And we would, we would have specific things we were training for and we would be in a training session and we would do what we needed to do. And I'm like, that's all we need to do today. And, and the answer would be, well, I haven't thrown up yet or I haven't, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to die. So we need to do more. And it's like some of the people would listen to me and go home and rest and the other people would not and they would do more. And those people tended to struggle, especially when we tested. Um, they would tend to struggle because what you don't realize is, and Joel Jameson had a great post about this. This is something that most people don't understand. You have this baseline of recovery. Your brain controls all the resources in your body, keeping your systems running and all these things. You can handle so much training and that changes over time. As you adapt, you have better work capacity. You take better care of yourself. All these things, performance enhancing drugs and all these things also play a factor in that. You only have so much recovery capacity. Once you go over that, you're actually taking away from your body's ability to recover. So if you go hard to the point where you're pushing yourself beyond your ability to recover on a regular basis, and there's some people that can get away with this a lot more than others, all you're doing is taking away your body's ability to recover. And so the idea is, is to do enough to make your body adapt, but not so much that you bury it. Uh, and that's where things like, you know, tracking your respiratory rate, tracking your HRV, tracking your uh, your your sleep markers, you know, things like that. T keyboard tests, grip te grip testing, where you know, if your grip strength is going down over a period of time, it means your body's not handling the training very well. And sometimes people might do that to somebody who's really experienced. You might beat them up for a little while to get something called super compensation. But most people don't understand it's about 
training within your body's ability to adapt if you want to have results over time. So there's a little, some thoughts for you. I'll be back on here tomorrow if you have any questions. Uh, And hopefully Dr. Stillman will be able to join me. Uh, There's a link below if you want to check out. We're doing a testosterone webinar, biggest mistakes we see men making at the end of the month. If you click on that link, it's going to take you to a video. Dr. Stillman and I are going to explain some of the biggest mistakes we see men making with testosterone. And then we've got a webinar at the end of the month that we're going to do about testosterone and all that good stuff. Uh, and there's some, there's a link to our fundamentals of wellness course. If you want us to help you with that and help you coach, help coach you. Uh, but thanks a lot. Hey, look, make sure you get outside today. I think that's one of the biggest things that, uh, is overlooked in our society is just how much natural light is good for our biology. If you look at the work of like John Ott and Fritz Holwich and all these people, uh, the, the effect of, if you look at the effect on light on animals and plants and we are an animal. Um, it's insane how much better, you know, animals and plants do when they're in the right environment. And we have created this artificial environment, this indoor environment under fake lights where the temperature doesn't change and it stays consistent year round. And I think that has massive consequences for our biology. So the more you can get outside, that's why I've changed my lifestyle. So I'm not spending 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. inside a gym. I now spend 97% of my day outside. I do all my work outside. I'm not saying you have to do that. Some people can, some people can't. It's just the more you can get out in nature, the more you can get out under real natural light, the better you're going to be. And I think, you know, everybody's focused on food and food is important. I've seen people make massive improvements by improving their food, but it's a combination of things. And I think light is one of the biggest things that's overlooked by most people. They don't even think about the consequences of what kind of light they're under the majority of the day. So have a great day. Get yourselves outside. Don't be a human zoo animal.